So at my home, I have a couple boxes that I use for storage. And in one of those boxes, I have a Ziploc bag. And a Ziploc bag, uh, a small Ziploc bag. And in that Ziploc bag, I have this tiny thing that looks like a dry squid. And, and, and that's uh, an umbilical cord. It's the umbilical cord that I kept uh, from the moment that Timothy was born. Um, I kept that umbilical cord. If you know, um, you know this. Umbilical cord is something, uh, it's a channel that connects the baby to uh, the mother. And so it's an important uh, kind of central piece uh, of, 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 uh, that connects uh, really uh, and sustains uh, the baby's life to, and, and helps the baby to receive all the nutri- nutrients and all that. So it's very important. So um, when the baby is born, uh, the father has the privilege to cut the umbilical cord and uh, once you cut it, it's still kind of, there's a piece that's left on the baby. And after a couple of days, it dries out and then it kind of just pops off. And there you have a belly button. And so it's, it's quite an experience. And, but it's not, it, and, and so I kept it. After it popped off of Timothy's belly button, I'm like, I'm going to keep this forever. So I put it in a Ziploc bag. Now, you might think I'm weird. That's kind of gross. It literally looks like a dry squid. Um, but there's a reason I'm keeping that in my, in my box. It's because uh, I want to remember the moment that my son was born, but more specifically, when Timothy was born, he actually had a knot in his umbilical cord, and uh, we didn't know how serious that was in the beginning. I mean, for some pregnancies, it's not that serious, but this is not something that happens that often. Less than 2% of pregnancies actually have this type of uh, thing. And so what happens, the baby moves around in, in the womb and um, accidentally uh, the baby can get choked by the umbilical cord. When the knot is formed and it's too tight, nu- nutrients can be cut off from the baby. And so we had no idea that this was going on. And, and when Timothy came out, it just happened to be that there was a knot in the umbilical cord. And, and that was a simple reminder that life belongs to the Lord, that we know nothing about life that it was a simple reminder, not just celebrating the life of my son, but it was a reminder of God's faithfulness and goodness. And till this day, I keep that peace um, in the box, not because I want to remember that moment that my son was born, but I want to remember how good and faithful God was to our family at that moment. It was a God moment, really, that when Timothy was born, but I wanted to treasure that God moment and make really a monument uh, that can point me to God's faithfulness and goodness um, in coming times. So in Joshua chapter 3, we see that the Israelites actually have a God moment. They've been wandering in the desert for 40 years. They've been waiting for God's promise for 400 plus years at this point, and we know that finally they get to move into the promised land. But the way that God invites them into the promised land is that there's this massive Jordan River. I mean, normally throughout the year, the Jordan River is really a gentle, a peaceful body of water. You can easily cross it. But one time of the year, about a month in spring, around harvest time, what happens is from Mount Hermon, all the snow, it melts, and that snow, it goes into the Jordan River, and it floods the river. And the Bible tells us, yeah, it happened to be flood time. It was during the harvest. So the Israelites, they could see the promised land. They can see all that God has given to them, the land 
that, that, that flows milk and honey. They can experience the true freedom that God gives them. They can live life in a meaningful way, how life was meant to be. Everything was right there before their eyes. But between them and that promised land, there was this massive raging river. And they camp in front of that river for three days, and they ask the question over and over again, how in the world are we going to get across this river? I mean, is there a different route Maybe a different timing, but God says, no, we're going through that river. On the end of the third day, Joshua, he, he calls the men and he says, well, God told us that we're crossing that river and here's how it's going to work. Uh, we have a couple priests that they're going to carry this box called the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. And that's not just a magical box, but it's a box that symbolizes God's presence. It's a box that there's like treasured, not because it was just expensive and, and precious, but they believed that that box was a sign that the Lord God was with them. They kept it in the Holy of Holies. Uh, on the box, there was this, this cap that was called the mercy seat, and they literally believed that that was the throne of God, where the presence of God dwelt. And so Joshua says, hey, we're going to pick up that box, the Ark of the Covenant, and we're going to march into the waters. I mean, the priests are going to march into the waters. We're going to look from about 1,000 yards away at what's going on. And as the people are watching, the moment that the feet of the priests touch the river, we read in God's word that the river split. The flow of the water stopped in a way that from that point all the way to the city of Adam, which is about 19 miles God cut the flow of the river. So when the people of God followed the presence of God and they experienced the power of God, and on that day, all of Israel crossed the Jordan River. This was a God moment. Undeniably, the people of Israel, they were reminded of how inadequate and how insufficient they were. At the same time, they were reminded of who God was. They were reminded of God's power and his presence and, and, and all is well. And you might think now that they have crossed the Jordan River, God would command them, hey, go take over Jericho. Go take over the promised land. Now you have nothing to fear. I mean, the people are already scared and afraid because they have just witnessed 19 miles of the river just dry up. But the next thing that we see in today's passage is not a command to go, but it's a command to remember. In verse 2, God tells Joshua, I want you to select 12 men, one from each tribe. So one man representing each tribe. And I want you to send them back into the Jordan River. At this point, the priests are still in the river, uh, in the dry river. Uh, they're holding the, the Ark of the Covenant. And God tells Joshua, hey, send 12 men. And they're supposed to go to the place where the priests are standing. And they're supposed to take out this, this rock this stone, and they're supposed to put that on their backs, bring back 12 stones to this place called Gilgal, which is the place where they spend their first night in the promised land. And at Gilgal, God says, well, I want you to stack up these stones in a way that they create a stone monument. And then something interesting in verse 9, we also read that Joshua, he makes a, a separate kind of stone monument on his own. Uh, we don't know exactly how this was commanded. We don't have a whole lot of details, but we know that this was a separate monument because um, this was created in a separate place 
by a separate, separate person. And so we kind of know that, okay, one monument was in the river, uh, in, the, in the dry river, and another monument was at this place called Gilgal. And so the question that we should ask today is this, what's up with these stone monuments? So why are these so important? If you go to Korea, everywhere you go, like, you know, if you go to, like, mountains, you have these tiny stone monuments uh, uh, by, you know, created by different temples or, or people. But what's up with these stone monuments? Why are these stone monuments so significant, not just in the history of Israel, but in the history of the Bible? Well, the text gives us three reasons why these stone monuments are so important. And we jump down to verse 21. It says, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? I mean, why do these matter? Then you shall let your children know, Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground, for the Lord your God dried up the waters on the Jordan for you until you passed over, as the Lord God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. So the text gives us three reasons why these stone monuments are so important. Here's why God told the Israelites to create these stone monuments. The first reason is this. I, I wish I could say that I came up with these um, alliterations, but I did not. I just found them in my studies, but it all starts with M's. So the first reason why God um, told the Israelites to build these stone monuments, number one, they, these stone monuments, they had the purpose, this memorial purpose for the future generation. The stone monuments had a memorial purpose for the future generation, for the next generation. Notice that it says in verse 21, when your children ask, so when the next generation asks, when the coming generations ask, this is how you ought to respond. This is a place where God, he allowed us to pass over the Jordan River, where God, he split the Jordan River, the raging, surging river, and he turned it into dry ground. This is, this is something that reminds us of that specific event. And why is that so important? Well, let me tell you, son. Well, let me tell you, daughter. It's because back in the days, we had no idea how to live life. We were just wandering in the wilderness aimlessly, without purpose, without any meaning to life. And yet God told us to go to this promised land, this beautiful place, overflowing with milk and honey. And he promised this incredible life that we would have with him at the same time before us with this, with this massive, this, this surging river. And we had no idea how we were going to cross this river. We had no idea how we were going to get from the, the east side to the west side. But God, through his presence, unleashed his power. And through his power, we walked on dry ground. And that's exactly why we are living in the promised land today. That's why our family exists today. It's only by God's grace. So through this monument, the people were able to share their personal testimony about God's presence and God's power. But notice there's a second purpose to this. So these stones, um, they have this memorial purpose, but the second thing that we see is they have a missional purpose. They have a missional purpose for the nations. Look at verse 24. It says this, not only are you going to remind your children of what God has done, but verse 24, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. It doesn't just say the next generation of the Israelites, but it says so that all the peoples of the earth, nations will know 
that the Lord God, he is mighty. Do you notice that God, he cares not just about the Israelites, but he cares about the nations, that he cares about all people groups, everyone. God loves them. And we see that God, he's not just the God of Israel, but he's also the God of the nations. These monuments were there so that Israel could could point other nations to the mighty hand of God. They were placed there specifically so that God's glory will be declared among the nations. There's a missional purpose to these stone monuments. But the third thing that we see is this. There's a memorial purpose, so there's a missional purpose. But the third thing is this. There is a motivational purpose for the current generation. So the first reason was for the next generation. Second reason was for the nations. The third reason, there's a motivational purpose for the current generation. Look at verse 24 at the end. It says this, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. That you, who's the you here? It's talking about the current generation, the generation that just crossed the Jordan River. It's not talking about the nations. It's not talking about the next generation. God says, I'm going to do this in your next generation. I'm going to do this among the nations, but I'm specifically doing this so that you may fear the Lord, not to be afraid, but that you may be in awe of the Lord forever and ever. And he's saying this because he knows, although the Israelites, they're in the promised land, he knows that there are hardships ahead of them. He knows that Jericho is right before them, the mighty fortress. He knows that there are people groups who have nothing to do with God. They're trying to they're going to try to destroy the reputation and the name of God. And what we see here is the midst of all that. God says, I want you to remain faithful to me. I want you to fear me. I want you to continue to follow me. If anyone dips out and tries to go back to the Jordan River, what's the thing that they're going to see right before they cross the Jordan River? The stone monument. And especially in dry seasons, I believe that they would have seen the second stone monument that Joshua had made as well. So when they want to give up, The moment that they want to run away, they're reminded of God's faithfulness and his goodness in those moments. And they're like, that's right. I can't go back to my old life now. I mean, you remember what happened with the Israelites who were in the wilderness, right? They're always wanting to go back. They're like, Egypt was so good, so great food. No, it was nice and easy there. No, it wasn't. It was so difficult. For 400 years, they lived as slaves. And yet, their memory is so distorted they think that, that's, that was a good place for them. And that sometimes happens in our lives when life gets very difficult. Your life stinks so that you look to your past and you're like, man, life was so much better before. And when you're about to run away, when you're about to go back to your old life, God is saying, remember how you came here. Those stone monuments, they have a memorial purpose, they have a missional purpose, and they have a motivational purpose. And so the question that we have to ask today is this, so what? Because I don't have a stone monument in my neighborhood. Um, I mean, that stone monument does not exist in Israel anymore. Uh, I don't live in Israel anymore. I don't see these stone monuments when I commute to work, when I go to school. I mean, how in the world am I supposed to be reminded of God's faithfulness and his goodness every single day? That's really the question that we need to ask. And the good news is this. In the Old Testament, we have these physical stones that remind us of God's incredible goodness and his, his mercy and his grace. In the New Testament, in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we are told that 
There is a stone monument, but this stone monument is not just physical, but it's actually active and living. In the Old Testament, we have literal, literal stones that create this monument. In the New Testament, we have living stones that are put together for God's glory. If you have your Bibles open, and I hope you do, please turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. It's towards the end of your Bible. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I, this is what I love about the Bible, right? How it connects and how it's really one big story. So in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, it says this, speaking to God's holy people, people who are saved by God's grace. It says this in verse 4, chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, talking about Jesus, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we have this stone imagery in the New Testament as well. It's a little bit different. At this time, it's building the temple. But notice that in Joshua 4, God was stacking literal stones, physical stones, to build a monument for his glory. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Jesus, he is building this stone monument out of living stones, out of people, redeemed people, people who experience God's grace, people who are called Christians, disciples. God is building this stone monument. Look at verse 9. It says this. He builds this stone monument, this, this, this temple, the spiritual house, the church. In verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness east side of the Jordan River, into his marvelous light, west side of the Jordan River. Once you were not a people, east side, but now you are God's people, west side. Once you had not received mercy, east side, but now you have received mercy, west side. God says, your life is not the same. When, when you were saved by grace, through faith in Jesus Christ. Your life was once dead, but now it's alive. You were once lost, but now you are found. You were once on the east side of the river, just living an aimless life in the wilderness. Now you are in the promised land, experiencing life as it was meant to be. But notice that God puts this thing called a church together with living stones so that, in verse 9, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him for a missional purpose, for a memorial purpose. So what is the word of God teaching us today? It's teaching us that we don't have literal stones in our lives, but we are the living stones. And our life ought to be a declaration of God's goodness and faithfulness to the world. Our life literally was under the river of death and sin. And by God's grace, he takes us out. He puts us together. And not just for our sake, for our good, that's true, but for his glory to portray a picture, a beautiful picture that reminds us of his faithfulness 
and of his goodness. This is so important. This means, first of all, notice that, okay, a single individual stone has incredible meaning and significance, but notice that the real meaning comes together when things are put together. The 12 tribes, 12 stones. In the New Testament, we see that living stones put together. So although your life, as much as you want it to be independent and individualistic, you know, the Bible is constantly reminding us that our lives, it means much more than just us, that it belongs to the Lord, and God puts us together in such a way, but also notice that it has a memorial purpose, that your life, your testimony is, is a declaration of God's goodness and faithfulness. Now, I know some, what some of you guys might think. You might be shy about sharing your faith. You might say, Pastor James... I don't have the most exciting story. My testimony is actually pretty boring, right? I hear stories where people, you know, really, you know, they lived messed up lives before. Like, you know, they were doing maybe drugs, you know, addicted to alcohol. You know, they were on the verge of, of really causing all this mess and, and drama and trouble. They were living just messed up lives. And, and, and for me, I, I just... I just came to church. My parents, they're, they're Christians, so you know, I just came to church. I met Jesus, and so my testimony is not that dramatic. It's not worthy to, to be shared, and here's the deal. If God saved you from hell, from death to life, you have a story that is worthy to share. I don't care about like, all the details of how you came to realize how sinful you were, how broken you were, how lost you were. But if you are in Christ and you call yourself a believer and you call yourself a Christian, your story has the same movement that we see in Joshua chapter 4, that you were helpless, inadequate, insufficient before the Jordan River, that you were desiring all the promises of God, the goodness of God, yet right before your eyes, you have this massive, surging, raging river, and there's no way you can cross that river on your own, on your own ability, on your own strength. But by the grace of God, God literally sends his son, Jesus Christ, to split the river. And it doesn't matter if you're six. It doesn't matter if you're 66. As long as that's your story, as long as you believe and you understand that God has saved you in such a dramatic way, then your testimony has value then your testimony has a reason to be shared. I mean, if we are going to share a story where God has split H2O in such a dramatic way, then we ought to share a story where God has split sin and death through the power of Jesus Christ. Isn't that worthy of sharing? If we're making such a big deal, we're so in awe of Joshua chapter 4, man, that's such a dramatic story, then we have to understand that what God has done for us in our life is so much greater than this tiny event in history. And so you have a reason to share your faith with your children, with the next generation among the nations, God calls us to be, to be a witness. Now, I'm not saying that everyone has to be a career missionary in such a way, but I do believe that every Christian is called to be missional, to have a heart for missions, to have a heart for the nations, to pray for the nations, to give for the nations, to make sacrifices, to devote ourselves, even sometimes going to the nations, unreached people groups. There are still 2 billion people who have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. I'm not talking about 2 billion people who are not saved. I'm talking about 2 
billion people who don't have a single chance of entering into God's kingdom simply because they have never heard the name of Jesus. And as much as we want to enjoy our life here, as much as we want to enjoy our own circle in this church, the reason why we are sacrificially giving as a church, the reason why we are committing ourselves to send missionaries, over 100 missionaries, and we are committing ourselves to send over half of our budget to missions is because we believe in this purpose. That the church exists, not just for our recreation, but it exists for God's mission, which is to reach the nations. We don't talk about missions just because it's a cool thing to talk about. We talk about missions because we believe that that is the very heart of God. Even when God was saving the people of Israel, we believe that he had his heart set for the nations. And that's exactly why he says, I want you to build this monument so that the nations will know that I am the Lord, that I alone am God Almighty, that they will see my mighty hand and hopefully repent and follow me as well. But also notice that your life has a motivational purpose. There are times when you want to run away. There are times when you want to go back to your old life. And, and in those moments, God is reminding us, look at those God moments where he has been so faithful and good to us. And can I just give you a practical application? The reason why we don't remember these God moments, because our memory is not that great. Like, you know, you kind of have an idea that God has been faithful to you, kind of have an idea that God has been good for you. But a lot of times we just don't record it anywhere. Uh, We trust our brain. Uh, We believe that, you know, yeah, I'll remember it down the road. And next thing you realize, you know, you you don't remember any details. You have no stories to share. It's not because God hasn't been faithful to you. It's just that you haven't kept those moments. You have those God moments. You never made it to God memorials. And so I want to encourage you, and I did this personally the past couple days. I just looked back on some of my old journals. And it was funny. Like, I was like, how in the world was I a Christian back in the days, right? And when I was a kid, just all the drawings that I made, all the verses that I was writing, all the struggles that I wrote in my journal. And at one point, I realized that I just stopped. Maybe it's because, you know, I got busy in life. Maybe it's because, you know, my head grew big and I, I believe that and I, I know a lot more now. But, man, I had to repent just seeing my journals. Just seeing because when I saw my journals back from years ago, it wasn't that I was this great Christian. I just was reminded that God has been such a faithful and good God despite my inadequate life, despite all my failures. God has been so, so good to me. I know we have pictures. I know we have all the technology that we have, but I want to encourage you, find a way to put together those God moments, how God has been so faithful to you and so that you can be prepared to share those testimonies, those moments with the next generation and with the nations. I, that's what I love about uh, our, our senior pastor and, and as a person. But, you know, every time we sit down and we're just talking, whether it's at a staff meeting, whether it's just over, or, or, over or a lunch or a dinner or a meal or a cup of coffee or whatever it might be, like, if you just push a button, he's going to just tell you story after story after story, not about his story, but about God's story, how it was a miracle how this church began, how it was a miracle how... We actually moved from from Arlington to this building. How God has empowered this tiny church to send so many missionaries and reach so many nations in such a way, and and it's because you know every journey, every moment of that journey, you know, the church has been treasuring 
those moments, and not only treasuring those moments, but the church has been making those moments into memorials in a way because we know that this work can't stop here. It has to continue in the next generation among the nations. So notice that you have a role to play, that your life matters, that you have an incredible testimony in your life, that it serves as a memorial purpose to point people to the goodness and the faithfulness of God. But also know that you have a missional purpose where your testimony through your story, how God has worked in your life, hopefully many people will come to know God personally as well. And also notice when times are difficult and hard, you can go back to these moments, your moment of salvation, the moments that God has raised you up, even in the difficult moments, how God has led you through those difficult moments. Those are testimonies in which reminds us that it is still okay. Even when life is failing, you understand that you're inadequate, you understand that you're insufficient, but you also understand that you're not alone, that you serve a great God. And through his presence, he's going to unleash his power for your good, but also for his glory, for the next generation, for the nations, and for everyone to know that he alone is God. Amen? Let's pray.